appreciate the music. And in the fun that we can enjoy our services and we can laugh at our own mistakes. You know, nothing's worse than uh, trying to maintain perfection and, and when you don't obtain it, you, you know, not to be able to laugh at yourself. Let's take our Bibles, let's go to James chapter 4 for this morning's message. And uh, the title is called Leaning on the Lord. Leaning on the Lord. <clears throat> I want to wish you, as I said in the morning service, I want to wish each and every one of you a, a happy new year on this first day of January of uh, 2023. And it's hard to imagine. And, you know, years ago, I, rem- I never thought that we'd ever see this date. I remember that uh, I was stationed in uh, Florida, Panama City, Florida, at Tyndall Air Force Base. And uh, while I was stationed there, I got my orders to go to England. And now this was all the way back in 1976, a long time ago, right? And I remember that. I thought when I left to go to England, I would never see America and the United States again. I really expected the Lord to return before I made it back. Well, I not only came back to my disappointment, I thought how many times that we have seen the same thing over and over again as people keep looking for the coming of the Lord. There were predictions. I don't know how many of y'all remember that in 1988, there was a book that came out in 1987, which said 88 reasons why the Lord would return in 1988. Well, the Lord didn't return in 1988, so he revised it to say 89 reasons why the Lord would return in 89. Later on, there was a man when I was pastoring out in California, his name was Harold Camping. And Harold Camping made a prediction that the Lord was going to return, destroy the earth by October of, I want to say it was probably 2011, that everything would be gone. And, you know, there was such a stir out in that area that literally everybody was kind of upset. You know, they didn't know what to think. And I said, the Lord's not coming back today. And uh, yet we kept turning on the news to see if the Lord was going to return. And the reality is, is that, you know, we knew that the Lord wasn't going to come back. It didn't fit the scripture. Well, I don't know how many of you all know this, but the early writers and the early people, the early believers, they looked constantly for the coming of the Lord, but they didn't spend their time predicting when the Lord would come. That's something relatively new. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. We changed to the January 1 date for the new year from April. It used to be the month of April, which would follow after the month that you would think about in the scripture when you had the month of Abib and Nisan, where you had the, the, really the beginning of the months that would be followed by the Passover and so on and so forth. Well, why did that all change? What will surprise you is this, was that in the Council of 325 A.D., which was the Nisan Council, they decided that they had to create a new time frame, not only to predict when the Lord would return, but also to put it in the place that they would have the average date of, you know, projecting down the line of when Passover was going to occur. But they had to have a beginning date. And believe it or not, the date coincided with the birth of Christ, what they had depicted, which was December the 25th. And so we celebrate January 1 as the new year based upon a Catholic document that had occurred all the way back in 325 A.D. In fact, we didn't even have A.D. and B.C. until that council. I don't know how many of you all know that or not. 
But here's one that's really interesting, and I know it's true because I heard Paul Harvey speak about it, you know, the rest of the story. Paul Harvey made this comment that it used to be that there was a week-long celebration, the last week of the month of March, in which everybody celebrated the upcoming New Year. And everybody was rejoicing and they would be glad, I mean, all over the globe. There was a rejoicing over the coming, the closing of another year, the beginning of a new year, and so April the 1st was there. Well, when the council had reversed it back to January 1, all those people that continued to celebrate the, the wonderful day of the year as April the 1st were called April Fools. And now you know the rest of the story. We'll leave it at that. All right, in, in James chapter 4, we want to go down to verse 1, and I'm not calling you all fools whatsoever. But the reality is, is that we, are, we see so much of the world that, that takes a hold of us and really controls us in so many things that we see and do. You know, we cannot separate ourselves completely from the world. And after a while, we, we adapt certain things in our lives that are not going to matter a hill of beans. But the reality is, is that if I want to become the man of God that I should be, then there needs to be a natural leaning. Look what it says, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read the entire chapter, chapter 4 of James. And it says, From which come wars and findings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust and that war in your members? You lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have and, content and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Ye ask and you receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy, is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou, but if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one law to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgeth another? Go to now that ye say, or ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now it's interesting that we have this particular passage that is before us today. But I want us to consider very carefully what the scripture teaches us in regards to not only being unity one with another, 
but also that we would have a unity with God. And I really believe that there's a lot of Christians in this world that they lack a true unity with God. Now, as I take a look at 2023, I, I know that, you know, standing here as your pastor, I have many desires for this church. I think it's, you know, equivalent. I think it's good that we might have the services at the beginning of the year on this Sunday. But I also want to think about this. Lord, what would you have for this church, Great Missionary Baptist Church, in the town of Cerrito, what do you want us to do in this coming year? Now, we're going to be having a planning session the morning of the 18th of the month or somewhere in that neighborhood. And when we do, wouldn't it be nice to be able to sit down and discuss quickly and carefully the things that we want to do as a congregation and not be afraid who might object to it. This is where unity is going to have such a place and to make sure that we're ready to go. So as we begin today, I want us to think about very carefully the things that are written in the scripture and help us to understand the things we seek the Lord, our Father, for his grace. Now, Lord, I pray that you will just guide us and lead us and bless as we study together, that we might understand the things which you give us. Help us then, dear Father, to be the men and women of God that you would have for us to be. Give grace that as we stand before you, we might understand your goodness, your truth, your mercies, and all that is written from the scripture. So guide us and bless and lead. May we rejoice in your name, and we will rejoice in all that you do for us, in us, and through us all. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I pointed out in the very beginning, we are not as close as we might think we are to all the events that are in Scripture. Now, I did not live during the days of Adam. I did not live during the days of Noah. I did not live during the days of Abraham or Moses or so on and so forth. I live today. And as we get ready to study into eschatology, one of the things we're going to find is the command to hold those things that remain. Now, here's what's sad. We oftentimes don't think that we have things that we should hold on to, which we have let go of, but we hold on to those things which remain. Now, I've had people that they'll come to me and they'll ask me about this question or this question, and I'm very careful because it seems like in the day and age which we live in, we have so many people that want to trip us up in what we say. Uh, I think it was Brother, uh, Brother Tom Ross who made this statement that the older that we get, it seems like we become more mellow. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, when we were younger, we were firebrands. Anything that didn't come our way or anything that was said that we, we disagreed with, we were ready to draw out our swords and we were ready to rock the, pe the people's heads off. But the reality is, is that if I am what God wants for me to be, I will actually look at those things carefully. And so when somebody tries to trip me, when somebody tries to, uh, to do things that really make me ponder, I want to control my thinking and my thoughts so that I can bring some unity and also to see through the wickedness. How many of you have ever heard this statement? Did Jesus Christ come to this earth to take away sins? You ever heard that? I had somebody approach that to me many years ago and said, did Jesus Christ come to this earth to take away sins? Well, that's what scripture says. 
And when I said, yes, the Lord did, then he goes, then he failed. I said, I'm sorry? He said he failed because sin still... No, you misunderstand. Judgment hasn't occurred yet. And when the Lord... of Jesus Christ. Every one of us are going to bust hell wide open. We're heading for hell. We know treasure and he lusted after money and in fact he was so willing to betray Christ that for 30 pieces of silver for a small amount he was willing to turn Jesus over and accuse him the way they wanted him to be accused that was the first war within the church but did you know that there were strikes that happened in the church? We had Peter and John, or we had James and John, who asked that they would be lifted up and that they would really, one be on the left hand, one would be on the right. There was another strike. In the call difficulty. I mean, 
And so as we take a look at reading on the understand it's not Savior in this church. I think 2023 ought to be a declaration that we are going to trust the Lord no matter what. No matter what the world may say. No matter what no matter what the Lord with everything that occurs. Look at verse 3. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. How many of you have ever prayed, Lord, let me win the lottery, don't raise your hands? Did you realize our lottery is up to $784 million? I could blow that like, I could blow that like right now. Powerball. I could blow that like right now. But what is it that God wants? I realize this. I'm a rich man richer than anyone has ever been upon this earth. I have a refrigerator in my house. 85% of the population of this world does not have a refrigerator. I have an automobile. 75% of the world does not own an automobile. I have luxuries. I have air conditioning. How many of you love air conditioning? Come on, how many of you love air conditioning? You probably don't right now. But when that weather and that thermometer keeps climbing outside, oh, oh, it's so hot. How many of y'all remember when you were in church you used to have a fan and the preacher would have to time his message with the buffing of the fans? We remember that. But the reality is we enjoy the conveniences of the modern age and yet, how many of us feel like we're better off today than we were yesteryear when there was a greater love for the things of God? I begin this message because I look at it from this way. I am who I am by to enjoy not only my children, but the relationship with others, to enjoy his word freely, and on and on and on. Let me give you a couple examples. Do you realize that even in the Old Testament, those old saints were not seeking wealth, but knew what to do One of the richest men that there ever was. And yet, when he went in and he brought back Lot and his family, he would not If we won the lottery, interesting thought, isn't it? Here's another one. Do you realize Job and God took it all away just that quickly and then turned around and made him wealthy again? Why did God do that? To teach us a valuable lesson. Many publicans and Pharisees also became the wealthiest of men. But they were willing to give it all up when they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, here's the thing. 
I get greater joy in leading someone to Christ and know that they know Jesus than I have of all the great luxuries of this world. I mean that. I have a place to lay my head down at night and rest. I'm the most comfortable person there is upon this earth. And I pray that no matter what, wouldn't it be great, Brother Randy, think about this. Wouldn't it be great if the day came and we were up on our deathbed, maybe hospice is there, and just like you said of your friend, and look who's walking through the door. Wouldn't that be the greatest? That's what we ought to desire. That's the thing that we should have in our lives. The I had a call from my boss as I was traveling up here yesterday and he said, uh, are you ready to go back to work? Yeah, I don't want to call into any houses. <laughs> I said that just completely because I don't even want to get deal with any kind of frozen materials. He said, I got good news for you. I'm changing your position. Hallelujah. I'm not going to do construction work. And I was happy for that. He said, I need your help. Isn't it nice when somebody says, I need your help, instead of saying, you worthless scum, you. Reality is, we have this beautiful year that is set before us. Reality is, I need to understand the salvation that God wants for me to enjoy. It says over in the Gospel of John, He must increase. I must decrease. And the time I have upon this earth, I should, wait, I should literally desire that I would become less and less so that he becomes more and more. Wouldn't it be wonderful at the very end when we begin to see our life? We're also told that in the church we ought to remember how that we teach others and that we prepare them. I use this as an example. Well, matter of fact, I want you all to see this again. Hold your place here in the book of James. We'll come back here in a moment. Let's go back to the book of Acts, chapter 15. And, and I literally thought about this over and over again. What is the first instruction that I can give to someone? How many of you all have ever struggled... With a newborn Christ, a newborn in Christ, and they said, "What should I do now?" Now we teach them to pray. We teach them to read their Bible. But how do I teach them to live? That was something that really perplexed me. How do I uh, show someone how to live? There, there was an example that was sent to me not too many years ago of a, of a, a person who was a, a follower of the Hell's Angels. He was part of that group. And when the Lord saved him, he was so... He began to fall away. And after a period of time, he fell away in such a way that he never returned. So concerned, the pastor went to him and said, I, I don't understand, brother. Why did you... 
Nobody wanted to be a pastor. And, and I would sit on the pew and... Or, He said, you're a fa- you say that you're a family, but you don't care about each other. He said, the hell's angels say they're a family and they show they're a family. He said, if one of the Tennessee, and I had this young man who was uh, saved out of Mormonism, and he goes, I'm sick and tired of hearing people put down Mormonism. I said, that's an interesting thought. I said, continue. I was a young preacher. And he said, every time I turn around, they talk about how bad Mormonism is. He said, but we did some good things. When people had needs, we were right there to help them. When people were sick, I said, I don't want you to forget the good that you learned from Mormonism. You might just be the one to help us to understand the way we should go as a church. You see, many times we look at someone who's young and we say, you should be just like us cold, dead, and indifferent. But look what, the, look what James, the pastor, said. And I used this in the earlier service. But I want you to see, in verse 20, what it says. But write that, but we, that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of flesh, or pollution of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. What can I do to a young Christian to help them walk on their way? I began to point out to them ways that they can serve the Lord in a much better way. The Apostle Paul made this statement. Follow me as I a real shamble of an individual. The next aspect we see on this is that if I am saved, then I need to know the meat of the matter. Let's go down to verse 5. In ver- from verse 5 down to verse 12, I don't want to reread it, but let's see. But there rose up certain of the... Oh, me, let's back up here. Let's go to James chapter 4 down to verse 5. Excuse me. But you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy... How many of you have ever pondered if the message that I preach is exactly what is needed today? How many of you all think and how many of you all have been praying for me this entire week for the message? Somebody has been. Because as I was preparing this, man, it just seemed like things rolled and rolled and rolled. In fact, the thing that I've learned is that the spirit within me, the closer is, and it freely comes to me. Look what it says in verse 6. But he giveth more 
I'm going to see how many catch that. How many of you ever heard that term? I'm so humble, I'm proud. Those don't go together. Humility is one to where that I say, Lord, I'm just a child. How many of us enjoy John MacArthur? How many of us enjoy Stanley, Chuck Stanley, or other preachers? How is it that they seem to be such spiritual giants? Because they take the simplicity of the word and they expound upon it over and over again. The simplicity of the word. I love what one man said, and I, I was listening, and I'm not a great follower of John MacArthur. Please understand this. I'd rather do Alistair Begg than I would do John MacArthur. But the reality is, is that I heard what he had to say, and he goes, why is it that your illustrations seem so timeless? And he said, because I don't use the world's demonstration, I use the examples that are in the scripture. This is timeless. So I gave you a couple examples of my own life where I dealt with individuals. But isn't it greater if the example that I hold comes from Scripture itself and it knowing that it's the timeless matter? Isn't that the wonderful aspect? And in so doing, I've got to get into this Word every day, though I might know certain things, learn more of it so I can see the greater depth of it. Whenever I fly across our great country, I look and I can see the hand of God in everywhere that I look. I love history because the history teaches me things that, that, that seem impossible, but with God all things are possible. And the reality is, is that if I am going to follow the Lord, I have to trust in Him, and I need to humble myself in Him and allow Him to lift me up. Watch this. Now, here we go, and I'm going to show this to you. How many of you have ever gotten so angry at someone you said, I'll get even? We all have. And yet, the Scripture teaches us, I am God, I will repay, saith the Lord. Can you still be mad at that individual that did you wrong if the Lord suddenly saves that individual? Can you be angry at that individual that did you wrong, not only if the Lord saved him, but if you're standing over that individual knowing that in a few minutes he'll pass from this life, how many of you all are going to tell them about Jesus Christ at that moment? You see, here's the thing. We are proud of our sins. We don't think our sins are hurting anybody but ourselves. And yet, the more we become in reality of the things of God, the more Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Man, isn't that powerful words? Draw
this great cleansed my hands and I'm double minded how can I preach the word when was the last time that I wept over one person who did not know Jesus Christ I weep for these children I weep knowing that they need Christ. I weep for my own grandchildren. Nothing has been such a blessing to me. I, I wish Dennis was here right now. I would, I'd love to be able to use the example. I remember the day that Kennedy was saved. I was teaching Sunday school class in Sacramento, California, or near Granite Bay. And someone said, there's a call for you, Pastor, in the office. And Dennis had, had Kennedy call me and she said, Mike, Uncle Mike, I'm saved. Man, I put down the receiver and I started weeping right then. I said, Hallelujah, God. You saved one. And I'm praying for that mother right over there. Because the day that that child comes to know Jesus as their Savior, they're going to say, Tell us more. Tell us more. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Tell me about his birth. Tell me about his death. Tell me about his resurrection. Tell me that he's coming again. Before you see, if I'm going to see more that are going to come, I need to take the simplicity of the Word of God. It says over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, that we teach them the milk of the Word. You know what I've discovered? I'm a milk person. I really like milk. Because the more milk I get, the more I desire bread. I like a little peanut butter on my bread with my milk, and that makes it taste pretty good. You know, I like peanut butter and bread. But after a while, I'm ready for some meat. I love ham and cheese and all those other good meats. I know I'm not Jewish. But the reality is, that's exactly the Scripture. We start with the simplicity of the milk of God's Word. And then we move on to the bread of God's Word. And then we move on to the meat of God's Word. And you were like, I'm thankful that God has shown us these things. For those of you that don't know, I'm a black belt in karate. And here's this thing that is made. You know what a black belt is? It's a white belt that never gave up. Isn't that pretty cute? It's a white belt that never gave up. And it is stated that the most humble individual should always be a black belt in karate. Sometimes, and I've been in churches where visiting preachers come in and they want everybody to bow down to them. The most humbling experience should be when I open up this word that I say, God, help me to deliver the message that you want me to deliver. Somebody in this congregation needs to hear this word. Help us to And it includes every day walking in such a way that I know that God is with me. And this is the crux of the matter. Look what it says. That I trust the Lord every moment of every day. Go down to verse 13. Go to now. Ye that say,
today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and gain. Okay? And get gain. I don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. We call that, don't count your chickens before they hatch. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know the, the troubles that occur. Like I said, I was getting ready to go to Colorado Springs. God said, no, you're not. I don't know why. I'm still trying to figure that out. Whereas you know not what shall be done on tomorrow, for what is your life? What is your life? Do you realize that most of us here are in our 50s or greater? And yet, what is our life? What is the testimony that we are leaving behind? It is even a vapor. It's even a vapor. My mom and my, my dad, Carla's mom and dad, are buried up on my brother's property. And I can stand before that stone of every one of them. And it's interesting that I can remember every little aspect of the life that we had together. The hunting trips, the fishing trips, the spankings, the corrections, the love, every bit of it. The salvation that God brought into our families. You know, the most dreaded thing I had, you see, folks, I'm trained as an engineer. I studied hard for electronic engineering, and I became quite successful in my role. I was literally called all over the country to go to different places. In fact, I had, a, I had an offer to go to Egypt. I said, no, thank you. And I remember I went into the living room one day, and I thought, how is Dad going to take this news? And I looked at Dad and I said, Dad, God's called me to preach. And i got to give up my cushy engineering job to be a missionary. I, I'm scared to death. I didn't know what he was going to say. I, I, I thought, he's going to get mad at me. And tears streamed down his eyes and he said, Mom and I were wondering when this day would come. And instead of my fears being known, there was joy in my home. I've seen souls saved. And it's all because of the grace of God. And I look at the dash between my dad's date and I can tell you the memories. And the ones that's most special was when my dad rejoiced over my salvation, over my brother's salvation, over my sister's salvation. I don't remember all, I don't want to remember everything about his death. I want to remember everything about his life. And that should trickle down to us. How many of us, verse 17 says this, Therefore, well, excuse me, verse 16, But now you rejoice in your boastings, 
and all rejoicing is evil. Back up to verse 15. For you ought to say, if the Lord will. <laughs> Brother Randy, 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 how many of you, have you planned on a flat tire tomorrow? Or has it ever occurred to you that God may give you a flat tire to say, I need five more minutes to keep you safe? Brother Joe, have you ever considered that on your approach to work and cause you to have to go around? Many years ago, I, I was scheduled to preach at, at somewhere above uh, Point Pleasant. And I got up there and I had plenty of time. I dropped off my youngest son to Joseph, to the family, and I was heading on north. And the next thing I know is I'm out on old Route 62. They said, you can't go any further. We've had so much rain, there's a rock slide, and it's now blocking the road. You can't go up that way. Now, you want to talk about providence. I did not know who to anything else. So I got operators before cell phones. And I said, I said, you see, I'm scheduled to preach the and, and I need to talk to Well, let me just give you this number. She rang that number. And you want to talk about Providence. The owner of that restaurant was the pastor's wife. <laughs> I said, I'm going to be late. I said, there's a mudslide on 62. She said, I'll go up there and I'll tell everybody that you're going to be a little bit late. I got there, I looked more like, you know, Tim Allen on tool time, or Al on tool time. I had my flannel shirt on, I had my jeans on, I said, look folks, I can do that. You had the best start of a revival service you've ever had. Why? Because the providence of God was with us. I don't know why he delayed me, but he made it that much better. I don't know what tomorrow may hold, but the Lord's willing, I'll live it for Him. Isn't that the great example we should have on 2023? To live for Him and all that is in us. So as we look to the new year, love on each other, care for each other no matter what, because the grace of God is just going to get sweeter and sweeter. Father, now I pray that you will bless this message as it's been delivered this morning. Help us, dear Father, to walk faithfully before you. Continue to lead and bless and guide as we conclude in this service. In Jesus' name, and amen. Brother Randy, I'll have you come forward right now.